Welcome to FRT episode 104. I'm Natalia Bailey from the IF and I'm joining from my home in Arlington, Virginia. In true pandemic fashion, my guests today are joining across time zones from Australia and Singapore. Today's episode will focus on the ethical handling of customer data, including our recent IF data ethics charter. For those listening in, the IF recently published its data ethics charter with inputs and practical insights from chief data officers and other experts from within our membership across the globe. The charter outlines a set of principles for the ethical handling of customer data that go beyond compliance to protect and handle individual customer data. I'm joined today by our guest, Jade Har, Head of Data Ethics Enterprise Data at NAB, and David Hardoon, former Chief Data Officer at the Monetary Authority of Singapore and now a Special Advisor to Union Bank of the Philippines. Both Jade and David were part of our leading group of experts that helped shape the principles of our Data Ethics Charter. Jade and David, thank you for joining us on FRT. Thank you very much for having me again. It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. There is a lot to talk about in terms of data ethics or the ethical handling of customer data. In some of the recent discussions we've had, I keep hearing the data is horizontal. Everyone wants to use it and it works its way into every corner of the business. Our discussion today will touch on many aspects in which data exists which also reflects the main areas of focus of our Data Ethics Charter, or DEC. For those listening in, this included five main areas. The first one was responsible data management cycle, which had trust as an underlying principle. The second one was around data control, with the underlying principle being transparency. The third one was around the challenges that we see with algorithm decision-making systems, in terms of preventing or diminishing unfair bias and also establishing principles for accountability and fairness. The fourth one was partnerships and third parties. And it was about how all of those principles that we delineated around transparency and accountability should also apply to third parties. And then finally, we talk about skills, awareness, and knowledge sharing. So with this framework in mind, um, let's just start with a wider context before we go into more specific issues. Jade, in our DEC or data ethics charter discussions, you rightly pointed out the importance of governance in the implementation of ethical principles around data. How critical is it to establish a framework for ethical use upfront? Yeah, thanks, Natalia. Uh, very. I think you really want to think about Basically, you want to start that you've got your guardrails already there. Because if you haven't really thought about strong governance right at the beginning, then it's really difficult sort of further down the track. So there's an idea of um, making sure that you've um, spent some time, you've actually invested in understanding how you want your decisions that are using data to be made, and that you've actually set yourself out a decision-making framework. You've got to think about all that before you go running off, I guess, and thinking right now I'm going to be making all these decisions. And I think it's going to play out differently. Different sorts of organizations, depending on your culture or your hierarchy, um, may have different approaches to your guardrails or getting that governance right and what it looks like it might look different for one company, you know, compared to another. But it's really important that you've got that all set out right from the beginning and that you talk to all of your possible stakeholders 
in that development of the governance as well. I think that's important because it's going to help with overall buy-in. If they've been there to help build that story as to why governance is there, how it helps you, you know, what, what's the benefit of all of that um, sort of considered thinking at the beginning, why that is important, I think that will help definitely with support. Uh, and the idea then is if you've got that strong governance, then you've got an opportunity to to challenge things. If you If you don't have that, then, you know, you may be missing out on opportunities to find issues or to enhance stuff. Got that governance, I think, that allows people to make those challenges to query, whether it's a start or deployment or beyond. Because no one's obviously intentionally starting off to think, how can I create something unethical? But I think there's definitely some storytelling behind why you need to have the governance there and why it assists you. Um, and making sure you've got all your stakeholders to buy into that and be part of it is is really critical. Thanks, Jade. David, in your previous role, you led the development of MAS feed fairness, ethics, accountability, and transparency principles for AI and data analytics in Singapore's financial sector. Since then, we have seen the industry adopting and institutionalizing those principles. What are you seeing in terms of implementation and adoption? And are there any specific steps that firms can take to have a more successful institutionalization of those principles? Yeah, no, thanks for that question. So if I just go back in time a bit to the origination of FEE, it was very much an introduction of those guiding principles. Like, like I think Jay was rightfully saying, we don't intentionally start creating stuff to be unethical. But it was essentially that kind of strong reminder of there are certain considerations, even just a, an alignment to existing governance, existing policies, existing principles that are really important to bear in mind. And given that, on the one hand, we want to increase the adoption in certain contexts across the financial sector, it's just that reminder of like, yeah, we can do it. And oh, by the way, there are already certain governance and principles or certain guidelines. Let's keep them in mind. So it's, it's essentially it was that. And, and for people who actually pull it out, they realize it's a one pager. All the additional stuff are just descriptions, analogies. I like keeping things simple. But as, as you rightly said, and, and immensely delighted that it was adopted by the industry because it kind of gave a direction where there's still lack of regulation. It gave a direction of, oh, we can do it and what we need to put in place to support in that development. So it was really kind of how to, at the very first stage, uh, harmonize it within the organization. Now, what I mean by that, and that's the first stage of implementation is, do we really now start to create uh, councils of AI ethics? Maybe, but it's the question mark, or do we need to start thinking about these things? And what you find is that different organizations incorporated and implemented differently. Some may say, well, actually, we have risk committees, we have culture and conduct committees. We don't need a separate AI one. We don't need a separate data one. It's just we need to incorporate that within it. We already have data governance. I mean, if you think about that, this is pre-existing and long-standing uh, item of data quality, BCPS uh, 239 and so forth. That is the hygiene of data. I mean, the very first thing, and we were discussing earlier about discrimination with respect to the impact of AI. Well, the very first step is understanding your data. Is there any skewness? That is data hygiene. That is data governance. So again, but... Naturally, given the nature of AI, there may be certain nuances that are slightly more well challenging or complex, like, for example, the transparency aspect. Now, if I'm using certain types of data in a more sophisticated algorithm, 
how do I give that opportunity to customers to, well, rebut effectively or, or to appeal? Uh, how does it work? How can they provide updated data? Uh, to what extent do I need to describe the methodology and the algorithms? So this is kind of where these questions are surfacing up. So that's on the policy side process effectively. But effectively, it also brought up the questions of how do we implement ethics? How do we implement these kind of principles, which is it's, it's quite a challenging one. And what it has resulted is actually a maturity in the discussion of realizing that there are certain things that we can't technologically implement. It is exactly where that human component comes in. And for example, discrimination, we need to take it again. If I, if I wear my data science hat, that is the essence of data science. It is the essence of AI. It is to discriminate. However, what is the discrimination that is justifiable? It is acceptable societally. For example, you need to have, and in the most, most simplistic sense, you need to have a certain AUM, asset under management, for to be able to say getting a private bank account. For example, that, that is a discrimination versus discrimination, which we can societally agree that is not acceptable. But from a system point of view, from a data-centric perspective, from, a, from an algorithm, well, let's be, let's be honest, at least at this current junction, an AI cannot distinguish between the two. It is that level on top of it, be it a rule, be it a human, be it a process, that can decide, well, yeah, I see that it's coming out. Again, put aside the historical data, whether it's statistically correct or not, but I see the output, I see the outcome, I'm not going to implement it. So these are some of the things that we've been seeing with uh, organizations of Union Bank of the Philippines that I'm also advising, amongst others, on really how to now break down this concept of AI ethics, AI guidelines, or in this case, feed fairness, ethics, accountability, and transparency, which actually, to me, nowadays, you know, three years after, actually all falls into one term, fairness. If you can get fairness right, you've solved the rest, in, in my personal perspective. But as I was saying, the implementation of policy and process and implementation of technology. These are all very interesting points, in particular the one about fairness. This is particularly important because there are so many different definitions for fairness. I remember when we at the IIF were working on this topic and there were over 40 different definitions for fairness that we encounter within our small working group. So, so David, I agree with you. Firms need to have fairness defined so that those principles that they are implementing follow their own internal definition of fairness. So let's go now into more specifics. Let's talk about the importance of customer trust and the use of data as an emerging asset and how that brings into focus the ethical use of customer data. And I'll pose this question to both of you. How important is data quality to implementing data ethics principles? I'll jump in to um, let David have a, have a breath there. Uh, well, I think typically you're going to have either, a, you know, an accuracy or and a safety sort of requirement in your data ethics frameworks or in your principles. So in order to ensure that you've really got that quality feature, you have to recognize what you're working with. So understanding what your data or understanding that your data is likely to have bias in it, and then it may have historical bias in it. I think that's the first step. Um, if you can't recognize that, then you're likely that you're going to miss out on other aspects that are also important in your ethics principles. So it's the old adage, junk data in, junk comes out. And, you know, there could be bias in that data set. Uh, and now through the power of an AI system, you know, you've greatly made it worse. 
now we hope that this is like we say we always hope it's going to be unintentional but if you don't have that challenging mindset if you're not asking up front about what's in my sample set where's it come from what rigorous validation have i done up front if you're not having that overall data governance viewpoint you know and you're also not focusing on really important things like privacy compliance because obviously data quality is, is really key for that I think you're going to miss or ignore it. And the link, I guess, to the data quality angle to trust is that if, you, if you're not performing, if your models aren't uh, accurate, if they don't have high quality data to begin with, and obviously the mathematical equations that you're using along the way aren't accurate, you're going to get poor results. And you don't really want to be targeting people for something unless it is relevant to them. I think you'd lose trust quickly if you were using data sets that were of poor quality, which mean your outcomes of your models, or your AI systems are also poor. And then you just don't, you lose that respect or, or trust from your customers because they're going to say, well, why on earth are you contacting me? Or why did I get caught up in this? Um, so yeah, data quality is, is important, but I think trust really comes from not just data quality, and that's important to remember as well. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So perhaps, and, and, and not repeating some of the points that were mentioned, other than the point of it's absolutely critical. Data quality, data governance, absolutely critical. But it's not just in the sense of having perfect data, because let's be realistic, we will never have perfect data. That, that's one dragon we will never catch. <laughs> but essentially, it is to know what we're dealing with. It's because, okay, so if you take a step back, the way I kind of liked viewing the world of, of, of this essentially is as a, a three-stepped approach. One is the data. The second one is the machine learning or AI data science, however you want to call it. And then the third one is operationalization of that essentially. And why you need to see it in that three ways is because in each one of them, there are potential implications. There's potential quality issues. There's potential issues or risks that need to be dealt with. And Enabling and establishing trust with consumers, which is absolutely critical, especially when introducing new capabilities and new technologies, it is having the ability of understanding what we're dealing with. So to give you a concrete example, one is they may say like, oh, we have data issues because there's more of one ethnicity or more of one demographics or more of one within the data. Well, it doesn't mean that you can suddenly miraculously go back in time and get that data. But what it does now mean is, okay, if I only have one sort of demographics within my data, well, then naturally you're not going to apply it on other demographics. You see, it's, it's that harmony of these steps. We're saying, well, we understand what we have. We understand the issues. And of course, we're then able to make the call of, you know something, actually in this particular situation, given the data, given the quality associated, we're actually not going to do use machine learning. We're not, not going to use AI. Just because we can or it's, it's a shiny, tempting little toy doesn't mean we should be doing it essentially. And then finally, which is that third step, which I was mentioning of the operationalization is, and I was kind of alluding towards it earlier, is I call it the safety net. Just because we have an outcome, just because we have an action item, doesn't mean we need to operationalize it. And having this type of approach, the understanding, the rigor in the data, which again, by the way, has always been there, but I always kind of like to joke that it, it, it's kind of bubbled up to the surface because we are using data a lot more vigorously than we have previously. Previously, we've been collecting it. We haven't been using it as, as much. Now we are, and then suddenly we're like, oh, we, we need to clean this data. Well, yeah. Second is AI, explainability, et cetera, and so forth. And then operationalization is, is 
giving that sense to consumers of, look, we're doing our best. Yes, errors may happen. Again, there isn't an element of perfection, but it's very different in having an incident of, oh, we never thought about that and oops, because we're now resulting in disadvantagement to someone versus a, we are extremely sorry. We had put in place mitigations. We have put in place controls and we've missed something. We will now uh, review and improve on that system. Those have very, very, very different effects. And I always like to give an analogy of friends. When you trust your friend, do you trust them because you believe they will never make a mistake? Of course not. You trust them because they will have the honesty to come and tell you, I've made a mistake and work towards improving it. Thank you both. David, I like, and, and I will remember the, that analogy about friendship and trust. And um, we already, in this discussion, have started talking about AI and, and machine learning. So let's go into more detail on data ethics in relation to AI and machine learning. As we know, clear ethical principles on the way data and technology are used are critical, and that was something that was reflected in the data ethics charter. So David, does the use of AI and machine learning models need additional considerations in terms of unfair bias and discrimination? And here, I am using discrimination in the context of having disparate impact or disparate treatment on those specific groups or, or the sensitive attributes or sensitive characteristics. Yes, I, I, absolutely. And I, by the way, thank you for that. I, I, I think, uh, we, again, we've spoken about this in the past. And again, this, I, I attribute this to my background in data, to creating the differentiation between discrimination and the disparate impact or outcome or disadvantagement, because discrimination and bias is, is something inherently necessary, again, from that point of view. But to your question, absolutely. There's a lot of, if I use the colloquial Singaporean term of same, same, but different, there's a lot of things which actually are the same. It's just a matter that we need to apply the same regime on the world of AI and data science, but there's now a lot which is different. And, and let me give you an example of where it is. Previously, when we would deal with usually relatively low dimensional, you know, a handful types of attributes, as in the US as well as other countries, it's very simple by just simply saying that attribute, it's sensitive, remove it from your world. Boom, done, sorted. But now you're dealing with a world which is dealing with hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of attributes. Even if you artificially remove an attribute or a handful of attributes because they're sensitive, the likelihood of you implicitly creating them is extremely high because there is some degree of statistical correlation with respect to. And remember, the whole nature of AI machine learning is to identify the very, very subtle patterns that are indistinguishable to human eye. So given that, we kind of now at the very first stance going like, is our previous approach still relevant? And actually, I would argue no. And in fact, I would even take it one step further and saying that not only is it not relevant, I would include sensitive attributes. And you make it like, oh, hold on a second. It sounds a bit counterintuitive if we're trying to avoid that disparate you know, treatment, engagement to some degree. But the reason I say that is because we need to include those sensitive attributes for the purpose of testing that we're not resulting in disadvantagement. The first response that a data scientist would be like, well, how do you expect me to test if I'm discriminating, let's say, for gender, if I don't have gender? I, I, I don't know. So we need to look at things and slightly treat them differently. That's number one. Number two, there's also potential implications of, remember, we are consuming historical data. For better or for worse, it is looking at historical patterns, 
to replicate them in the future. And it kind of goes to this, what was it? I remember seeing it in the past, this conundrum of if you're only ever shown searches results that we think you'd like, then you would only ever, you see, so you, you're kind of creating a narrow type of behavior of elimination. So now it suddenly introduces a new concept of, oh, hold on a second. While previously we're all about finding those patterns and finding, I know what David wants, should we be introducing random noise? Should we be introducing things that David doesn't want? Because we want to create choice, you know, opportunity. Another extremely important term in this discussion of equality, essentially, of allowing for opportunity, not just showing you what I, you think I want, but showing you things that may be underlying available. And how do I surface it up in this world of AI, which is very much designed on being very specific? That's something which I don't think we've yet fully incorporated and thought of, but, but it's coming up. It's definitely there. And then the final, final point, which kind of, kind of goes perhaps more from, a, I guess, a regulatory or not from a risk perspective, is the new type of challenges that are introduced by machine learning AI, where you have amplification. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a very, very brief example, and specifically in the case of, of disadvantage is Previously, when you think of, you know, GCIPs, DCIPs, et cetera, and so forth, or systemic risks and whatnot, there's certain and very specific criteria for that. And now suddenly you have these little AI, you know, intelligent relationship managers, uh, uh, traders, robots, which are looking at very, very small sums. It could be $50, $100, you know, whatnot. To, again, for the whole nature of financial inclusion is giving people the opportunity that maybe have been previously uh, excluded because of the, the quantum that was required. But imagine now if something went wrong in the algorithm or there was a certain trend that got picked up for whatever reason. You may have a potential implication of not a handful of people with a larger sum, but theoretically an infinite number of people. That, that has a very, very, very large impact that needs to be considered and thought of how do we mitigate and how do we address? So, so there's certain things, like I said, same, but there's some differences that need to be considered. Yeah, and, and I think I love that point about the same, same, but different, because I think a lot of the times we're thinking about the technology and how we need to, people thinking about how we regulate that, but actually it is the outcome and it doesn't really matter what you're using. But there are, I think, in, in this case, in, in terms of the um, the human biases and things like that, that we do need to recognise that it is it is just simply different with AI. And I and I think what I like to sort of think about too, because my background's law, is that we have to remember that we're still having people involved in these sort of conversations. You know, it's still people, right? So it's important that those people who may be creating the machine learning models, that they're also representative of diverse backgrounds and thought. And I think it's important to remember that although your one's own ethics could differ from, from the next person sitting next to you, and it can be based on experience and culture, your family, morals, religion, education, a lot of stuff. So I think that's important too, that we are reflecting if you are a company on a shared set of values or, or ethical principles um, so that then you're going to be able to apply, you know, with people, through people, um, a consistent approach and hopefully ensuring that preservation of dignity, you're recognising rights, preventing unfair treatment. So I think uh, I very much support what David said, but I, and I'd also just add that I really do think it's a big strength. It's not, it's not a panacea. It's not going to fix everything that you've got great or good diversity in your data science team, but there's different skills, experiences, background. You know, it means that challenge process should be rigorous because you're all coming, you know, you're, you're, you're hopefully thinking about things just slightly differently. You've got that diversity of thought 
And if you know, if you take a step back, the algorithms, they learn from the data and the configurations that we, the people, provide. So, you know, the, really, I think the onus is on, on us, the people. And that could mean not just the data scientists, but also whether you're a product owner or you are a, a specialist, like a subject matter expert. We all need to think about how we're approaching these, these problems and really having those checks um, because, you know, a lot of this stuff will be an unintended consequence. And I absolutely love the way David, you referred to it earlier about, um, you know, you may get things wrong, but the idea is that you've thought about it and you've documented it and you've shown that, hey, we were trying to do it this way to make sure that decision was equitable, that it was fair, that it was unbiased. And, um, and yeah, documenting it is very, very important, I think, because, um, we can't just ask the AI to be fair. We need to really prescribe the the data and the math and everything else that goes into it to be fair. So um, if we do get it wrong, let's show that we actually did think about it um, in the beginning. So when you say it's on us, it's on the people, it really goes back, I think, to education and training. Because if you want the people that are working, for instance, that relationship manager to understand those implications, then they need to be educated and trained. And that is something, as you know, that we also touch within the data ethics charter. And it wasn't just about the customer. It was also about the employees getting that training. Jade, let me ask you, what are some ways in which we can address these issues? What can be done? What controls can be set in place by firms to mitigate against machine learning models producing unfair bias or discriminatory outcomes? Sure. I think part of it is going to come down to the fact that we sort of have that recognition upfront that the data that we're using, whether we've got a diverse uh, set of people or thought being involved, that is all going to be key to sort of upfront getting some of the building blocks right. So it's the fact that if we've got uh, governance and policy that says you must have an application that behaves according to the following standards or your corporate values or your principles, and then testing um, and making sure you're testing the assessments to see that your application, how your model behaves, actually fits those standards and values. So I think it's going beyond just those normal sort of ideas of how do we test success perhaps for just, you know, ROI or conversion, but you're actually thinking about how do we make some KPIs on perhaps the equality of the performance of things um, or the equality of outcomes across key demographics. And, you know, that really makes it quite solid as well as from, you know, metrics perspective. So people can put that on and go, okay, I understand that these are some of the things I need to check for. So, you know, Upfront thinking, is this use case appropriate? Like really understanding what the purpose of what you're trying to design, what's your objective? Is Do you even need to use uh, machine learning? Is there, is there something else? And really understanding the appropriateness of the data is key. And having assessments, I guess, like I said, just to really make sure that the models work, but also how they're working, how fair they are. And as far as um, other sort of checks or assessments, understanding have what we designed, is it something that's actually transparent? Can I explain it? And that may obviously depend on what the use case is, what the level of explainability is, but is there something that really is clear? Because transparency can be, I think that's a large part of it, and it can really help, you know, not necessarily 
directly addressing bias, but if you have very transparent interrogation of the models, then you're hopefully going to be able to identify and then be in the position to remediate any potential bias. So I think making sure that before anything goes live, you've really got that uh, some sort of independent review too, uh, and just making sure that the, what's being applied is formed but behaves equally across um, whoever is your, your, I guess, your target use space. Perhaps I could add to that. Um, I, I always like to, to, to start off thinking in terms of a process perspective is how do you do it currently? And then build from that essentially. So how do you currently, when, when you're offering a product alone, an engagement, customer service, whatever it may be, how do you currently assure these? And I, I, I like to, ethics is, 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 is a very high level conceptual term that we can all understand, but sometimes it's tough. So I also like conduct and culture. It's, it's really the culture that we're trying to deliver and, and drive. But how, how do we do that? And if the answer is, oh, we might not have it yet, I say, don't get distracted by AI. Have it in place first, conceptualize it, think about it, and now then think about AI because only AI only does is add some degree of complications on top of it in terms of the, the aspects of the data, the veracity may happen, the, the fact that you need to have a much more regular checkback. Because unlike previously, when you just build a rule, boom, runs, and then once a year you check that it's all good. Remember, now this is about behavior. You're looking at you know, fast uh, uh, behavioral attributes. That may check, heck, I, I don't know what I'm going to have for lunch tomorrow. It, it may change on a week-to-week -week basis. So something that may have passed my checklist today may not be valid next month. So, so these are some of the additional complications. So all I wanted to add, perhaps, on, on, on the points that I mentioned earlier by Jay, is start off with what you have. If what you think you already have isn't good enough, don't jump to AI. Address that or redress that. Then incorporate AI, because at the very least, you have that baseline and the benchmark. The challenge is when you're trying to do two things at the same time. One is we're attempting, not attempting, we need to put in place that um, objective and the outcome and avoiding the disadvantagement and incorporating new underlying technology. It's, it's you know, that, that's a big tall order. I, I would say, let's fix one of the two of them. One is, don't worry about, okay, I, obviously I'm being slightly facetious on this particular point. Don't worry about uh, disadvantaging or not. Just put in the new technology and compare it, you know, one for one what we're doing. Or, again, as I mentioned, park the AI side. Let's address our considerations and then move, move to that next level of AI. So that's, I guess that's the only point I really, really wanted to add in. Because what I find is a lot of times people, understandably, get over fixated, like, oh, let's do AI, let's do data science, let's push it in. And what we realize is we suddenly have all these soft challenges around the edges of you know, the process, the consideration, the amplifications of these impacts that we want to address. I, just to give you very briefly, I remember I wrote a small piece uh, not too long ago where the title was, can AI be ethical? And actually my answer was no, AI cannot be ethical. It is us that can be ethical in the outcomes that come from AI. So just, just a matter of consideration. Thank you both. We touched on training a little bit before. Um, but let's go into it in more detail. What is the role of training and education in the implementation of data ethics principles? I'll give Jay the breather now. I'll jump into that one first. I, I actually believe just as, and again, this is obviously in the financial sector, but I, I actually would love to see this expanded across all other sectors because, you know, data and AI kind of exists across everything. Is just as um, in financial sector, when you join a bank or join a financial institution, you have to do compliance courses. You have to do governance courses. You have to whether or not it is your field. I truly believe we're at the stage 
where certain types of AI related courses must be mandatory. Everyone should take them um, again, whether it is your field or not, because you may be a product manager, you may be an ops you know, officer, you may be a relationship manager that you not, don't even realize, but the outcomes that you're dealing with, the information that's provided to you is a downstream of these intelligent or AI algorithms of data. So to me, the best way to address something is through education and knowledge and something that is ingrained in the culture of organization. So I, I absolutely, the answer is yes. This is critically important, but I would even go one step further. And for certain things saying, you join an organization or as a regular interval once a year, you have to do these training courses. Yeah, I think it's very, very important that everyone's speaking the same language. So I don't think it matters whether you're a data scientist, you're actually the ethics team, or you're somewhere else in the business. You really need to understand the questions. So if you're a person in a business and you're saying, you know, model developer, go create me this new way of segmenting my customers, you need to, as that business party, be able to understand what you're asking and not feeling like, um, you know, they are speaking a different language, which, you know, sometimes it may feel like that way. But um, I think it's really important that there's a there's a, almost like a critical mass of people in an organization that sort of get it. And that's not to say that every organization is probably peaking at the top end of that scale. I think there's definitely, a, you know, there's going to be a massive uplift in data literacy, basically. And But I think it's really, really responsible that uh, entities know that and they start thinking about that because it's also not just your mindset. So, yep, I can do training. But I think then it's ultimately your behavior. So it's you within your culture. Uh, you know, you know who you can ask for support. You know where to go to get that guidance. You know what the critical considerations are. You don't have to know everything. But I think everyone needs that that mass, that critical mass reached, that culture reached in your in your business, so that you can really make sure that you're speaking the same language. And I and I think it's if you're not then it's really difficult to say, like, how are you ensuring those fair outcomes? How are you getting those equitable services? How are you making sure that your customers, you know, that they can trust you? Because it really is, I think, the responsibility of everyone, regardless of whether you're frontline, you're a technologist, or whether you're executive. Um, and I think education, as you know, it really was part of the data ethics charter, or the DEC. That, that point about education came through really strongly. You can't underestimate the power, I think, of what spending some time on regular awareness and also having some compulsory stuff that does is hygiene for everyone. I think that's really important. Yes, on that point on education and training, I also think it demystifies, it explains the use of AI and machine learning, and it helps alleviate some of the concerns around its usage for regulators and supervisors, for instance. And it similarly, it helps gain customer trust, when the public understands the technology a bit more. I want to thank you both for joining us on FRT today. You have given us a rich discussion and lots to think about. And I think this has also been a great lesson to our listeners on the implications of the ethical use of customer data and how it is relevant to every single aspect of the business. And if I may summarize some of the many points that you have touched on today, um, I'll start with, with establishing and building trust with customers and, and what Jade and David talked about with having proactive data strategies that are driven by ethics and embedding those into the data governance framework. The second point um, is the one that David made about discrimination. 
And I like the way, David, you brought it up, and I know that we've talked about this before. Um, with discriminations is the essence of AI and, and what is justifiable. And so we should be shifting that conversation to using better terminology that is more appropriate instead of just using discrimination. Um, and I think this is a very important point that we should think about. The third takeaway point for me was, was the reputational aspect of losing trust that Jade mentioned. A fourth point, uh, David, you brought up this point, was data quality and data governance is critical, but it's not about perfect data. Um, and I very much like the way you put it, which is very easy to remember. Data comes first, then machine learning, and then the operationalization. Um, I think it's a great takeaway for our listeners that you don't have to use AI and machine learning just because you can. And the analogy of, of friendship and trust um, is something that I think many listeners will remember as well. On the sensitive attributes, this is also something that we have talked about in the past through several of the different working groups at the IF. And I agree with you, David, that the likelihood of those attributes being picked up by proxies is high. Um, and I, the way you put it, with the nature of machine learning is to identify patterns that are indistinguishable to humans. Um, it really does open up the discussion of what should we do about it? And finally, um, to both Jade and, and David's point, it's on us, it's on the people. It brings it back to education and training. David's suggestion to have AI-related courses be mandatory. Um, it's something that some, of the, some firms have started doing already. But I believe that we're going to be seeing that become more commonplace in the near future. So again, thank you so much for joining us on FRT. I only mentioned some of the many important takeaways from our discussion today. Thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure. And thoroughly enjoyed the, the session with Jane. Yeah, thanks so much. I've had a lovely time. Um, and it's always lovely to speak with other people who are genuinely interested and passionate about data ethics. So thank you. Looking ahead on FRT, a few upcoming episodes I want to highlight. We'll have my colleague Mina Lodge, who will be joined by Amin Khairi from CIB Egypt and Char Harper from Visa. CIB Egypt and Visa were recently featuring our new Spotlight series on financial inclusion, and they will be discussing financial inclusion together with Mina. We'll also have an episode on the digitalization strategy with Hisham S. Al-Arab, former CIB chairman. So stay safe and join us again for those upcoming episodes. I'm Natalia Bailey. Thanks for joining us on FRT.